I had a dream last night. It was uh, really intense. And in the dream, I dreamt that we were surrounded by an evil military vehicles and they were shooting at us. And uh, I grabbed this fire hose and we were completely surrounded by these kind of, you know, green looking military vehicles. But they were just they were I knew in the dream they were obviously enemies. And we were people were running and screaming. And I grabbed a fire hose and I began to spray all of these vehicles with a fire hose. And as I sprayed them with water, the water turned to ice on their windshields and they couldn't see. And so they were just like randomly firing. And, and then I turned to my son, Jason, and I said, we I said, we we need to get the troops ready. This is our time to fight. And so he said, yes. And I said, get our weapons. And so it, it, there was all this kind of noise going on and this warfare going on. And and the enemy was kind of like they were screaming things like they couldn't see. And it was it was kind of chaotic, intense, but chaotic. And so I said, I said, Jason, I said, get 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 more, get our weapons. And I said, get my weapon. And, and so um, he kind of looked at me like I said, what did you do with my weapon? My son's the master of misplace. I said, what did you do with my weapon in the dream? He said, what? I said, my weapon. What did you do with my weapon? Did you lose my weapon? And he looked at me as if to say, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, I want to know where you put my weapon. And he looked at me and he said, it's between your teeth. And I woke up. It's between your teeth. And I realized that he was talking about prophetic declarations. The tongue. It's between your teeth. And I, I woke up um, and it was it was so intense. You know, you've had those dreams where it's like you're there and you're out of the dream. When you wake up, you come out of the dream. But the intensity and, and the memory create kind of a emotional moment for you. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And uh, I didn't want to lose the moment. So it was it was so early in the morning. Kathy was sleeping next to me. So I crawled out of the bed as quiet as I could, and I grabbed my phone, and I went downstairs, and I went into the bathroom and closed the door, and I, was, I recorded on my, on my iPhone the, the dream I had, because you know, it was still fresh in my emotions and in my heart. <laughs> I was whispering on my iPhone, I had this dream <laughs> about spiritual warfare. You know, and I have a really big house, but uh, um, so I'm in a bathroom downstairs, and and we're Kathy's upstairs, and and so I get just about done, and I I'm kind of have my eyes closed. I'm half. I don't want to wake all the way up because I want to go back to sleep because I got to be up at like 5:30 or 6. So, so I'm trying not to wake all the way up, but I want to get the this on the recording. And just as I finish, Kathy opens the door and she's like, "Is everything okay?" I'm like. Dude, don't do that to me. <laughs> I'm scared the bejeebers out of me, man. Turn to First Timothy. Chapter 1. And I, I just want to read you um, kind of a verse that we're going to launch with tonight. Verse 18 of chapter 1. I think before I do that, um, if you don't know the context of Paul's letters to Timothy with reference to his personal struggles, Timothy had real issues with, with fear. As a matter of fact, when Paul sends Timothy to Ephesus, he writes ahead to the elders at Ephesus, and he says this, he said, I'm sending you Timothy, my beloved servant, don't do anything to make him afraid. Now, wouldn't it be weird if I'm doing a conference and Bill has to write ahead and said, I'm sending you my beloved Chris. But, you know, don't scare him, okay? <laughs> and then he writes to Timothy and says, uh, it, God, first, this is uh, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, I think it's verse 6. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. That's written to the same guy. And you'll notice that he tells Timothy, take some wine for your, for your stomach. And, it's, and he talks about how it's good for his, uh, his ailments. And um, and three times he he personally writes to Timothy about issues of fear. In fact, um, we'll read on here. He talks. He tells him not to let anyone look down on his youthfulness, but rather in example, show himself um, as a leader. And so it's in that context that, again, he writes to Timothy and he says these words. Verse 18. This I command you. 
This I command, I entrust to you. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you'd fight the good fight, keep in the faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. And I think this is really awesome because he's telling Timothy, listen, the context is not so much even the context of First Timothy. The context of their relationship between Paul and Timothy is Timothy is continually dealing with anxiety and fear. And Paul writes to him and he said, listen, I command you, I, I give you this command. I entrust you with this command that you take the prophecy, prophecies that were previously spoken over you. And with them, you would fight the good fight. Because many people have forgotten. He's, how did he say this? Keeping the faith with a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. How many of you know that many fellowships have sunk off the promised land of their, uh, in the icy waters of nonprofit organizations? In other words, God speaks his prophetic declarations over us. And that, those prophetic declarations, they take us to the promised land of our souls. When we reject prophetic declarations, or we don't, we don't take, we don't grab those prophecies and use them in tough seasons, we, we end up sinking off the shores of our promised land. We end up not being able to capture the promises that God has given us simply because we didn't embrace the prophetic declarations He made over us. And here's what I'm saying in plain English. When you're in a battle, the first thing you need to do is say to God, uh, well, say to God, but also remind yourself, what are the prophecies? What things has God spoken over my life? And I grab those prophecies, and Bill's, I think, done the best job of anybody I've ever known since I can remember, you know, before there was was much emphasis on computers, he would handwrite all of his prophecies out keep them in a binder, and take them with him wherever he went. He put them on three-by-five cards, put them on his desk, and memorized the prophecies that had been spoken over him. There's something about the prophetic declarations that are, that are spoken over your life that when we go through battles in life... How many have ever been through a spiritual battle in your life? Good. That means you're a Christian. Because according to Ephesians chapter 6, he said... Um, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But, so, in other words, it's normal to struggle in certain seasons. And when we struggle, what is one of the greatest weapons of warfare? He said, take the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. When we, when we, when we go through these, these tough times and we begin to be assaulted with all this kind of demonic confusion in our lives, one of the greatest things we can do for ourselves is take those, the words that the Lord's given to us and begin to use those words to fight the demonic military assault that is strategically placed against us. How many of you understand that in Ephesians 6 it says, for the schemes of the devil, the word scheme there means a plot in which the devil actually watches you, stalks you, takes note of your weaknesses and your weak seasons and attacks you at opportune times. You understand that demonic forces don't come to your, like, they don't just say, hey, you know what, let's just go visit Eric's house tonight. They don't, that's not what they do. They, they watch and wait for a strategic time. Remember when Jesus beat the devil in the wilderness, it says that the devil... Depart it until an opportune time. Are you following me? And what, how many of you understand that if you take the prophetic declarations that the Lord has spoken into your life and you bury those in your heart, that those words will come out of your mouth in opportune times. And when the enemy thinks you're weak, the Lord becomes strong and his strength is perfected in our weakness. When we, when we take the words that the Lord has spoken about us into our heart, those weak times become actually times of great victories. And it reminds us, when we have victories, when we feel weak, and he shows his strength, how many know that our confidence in God grows instead of our confidence in us? In other words, the enemy is looking for weak times in our life. And the, the Lord is also looking for weak times in our life. Jesus fasted 40 days 
Right. He fasted 40 days and it was in his it was in his fleshly weakness that he encountered the devil. And in his fleshly weakness, God showed himself strong in the wilderness. And when you beat the devil in your wilderness, then you end up you end up moving in the power of the spirit in your promised land. It says that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the spirit and he left the wilderness in the power of the spirit. How many of the idea the idea of wilderness is, is that you would grow in strength, not fall in weakness. <laughs> this is a much better word than. Hmm. Matthew 21, verse 18. Why don't you turn there? Now in the morning, when Jesus was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves. And he said to it, no longer will there ever be fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. Seeing this, the disciples were amazed and asked, how did the fig tree wither all at once? And Jesus answered and said to them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will, you will not only do this, what's been done to this fig tree, but even if you say this mountain, be taken up and cast in the sea, it will be done for you. And all things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. <clears throat> How many of you understand that your words become worlds? And sometimes um, our molehills are becoming mountains because of our words. You know, the idea is that mountains should become molehills by the word of the Lord. In other words, obstacles should move by the word of the Lord. But when we complain, instead of prophesy, even molehills can become mountains. And sometimes our words are creating negative ecosystems. You know, when you, when you say to yourself, you know, I'm just stupid. You know, I'm stupid. How many understand that when you're an anointed person and you start saying, instead of saying to this mountain, be removed, you're saying to yourself, I'm stupid. Guess what? Pretty soon, stupid you start doing stupid things. You start acting stupid. In fact, what uh, was it? Forrest Gump who said stupid is as stupid does. And pretty soon it reinforces that you're stupid. I remember, um, you know, all the years that I was growing up, my stepfather, my first stepfather, I won't tell you exactly what he called me, but it was stupid with the slang of a donkey. That's what he called me by name. That was my name. He'd call me stupid. Come here. And that and when somebody important in your life over and over proclaims something into your life, it's not very hard before you begin to believe it. And consequently, when you believe a lie, do you understand that if you believe something that isn't true, that it becomes as powerful as the truth in your life? In other words, Having faith in something that isn't true will actually make it come to pass, even though it isn't true. And so I began to act out being stupid. And I've shared this many times, but when I graduated from high school, I literally couldn't read. And I would say, uh, my, uh, my mother always said, oh, he's good with his hands, which was a really nice way of saying he's pretty bad at everything else. But he's good with his hands. And so I became really good with my hands, and I really thought that I wasn't a very intelligent person. And you, you can understand that if you can't read, it's, you're not going to get very good grades in school unless you're doing something that requires, doesn't require reading. This was so deep, isn't it? <laughs> but what happened is, so consequently, I'm told, you're stupid, I feel stupid, I, 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 I begin to, you know, I'm afraid of everything because I feel like, well, I can't do that, I can't do that, and I, I can't understand that. And I mean, I was presupposed to, I can't. I had a mental block that kept me from learning. It kept me from reading. And when the teacher would get up on the board and explain something, uh, when we were learning about literature and the rules of literature, I can still remember walking to that class thinking, I hate school. I hate... Every, every day was an experience in reminding me what I wasn't. And consequently, I acted out the very declarations that were made over my life. Not so much because he made them over my life, but because I embraced them. I embraced them as true. I remember the first time um, someone ever said to me, you have a brilliant mind. I'm like, dude, 
Seriously? I remember the first time anyone ever complimented my thinking. Now, I, I am good with my hands, and all through school and, and out of high school and into um, my career, I, I've always excelled in you know building things, fixing things, and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, oftentimes people say, oh, that was really beautiful what you built or whatever. But I can remember I was in my late 30s before anyone ever said anything about the way I thought. And I remember actually thinking, that's not true. Like, that doesn't feel true. And, and it's because I believe the lie. It's because I embraced the lie. Are you following me? And then people began to prophesy over me things like, you're going to write books. You're going to speak to kings. I'm like, seriously? You're going to write books. You know, I told you, and it's true, I still can't spell. I, I, I'm probably word cursing myself into I can't spell, so I don't, and so I can't. And so even, you know, even my computer knows the bad prophetic declarations that are over my life. It's like, do you want to add that to your dictionary? You know, if you add those to your dictionary, the next time you do it, it thinks you spelled it right. <laughs> For a while, I'm like, I guess I do. I, I didn't have any idea how to spell check word. I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> you know what? It doesn't have any other ideas on how to spell this, so that must be some new word I just made up. So my computer speaks tongues <laughs> with no interpretation is the problem. You can't get definitions for the words that I speak. <laughs> yeah, Velotonian. <laughs> it still actually doesn't know my name. <laughs> when I type my name into, into, into Word, it still goes, um, say what? And it tries to change the K to a CH and it... Valentin has no idea. I have a friend who's named Trish, and every time I type her name in, it changes it to trash. I'm like, seriously. <laughs> Thankfully, I've caught it every time. I'm like, what an opening statement. Trash. I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you. That would be kind of weird, wouldn't it? Anyway. I mean, the goal is to speak your, your obstacles into opportunities. The goal is to take the obstacle in your life and begin to speak into it so it becomes, the obstacle becomes an opportunity. You know, it's, it's amazing how deep a valley can get when you speak to a molehill and make it a mountain. And I'm like, I'm, in this, I'm always in a valley because I'm always speaking to my molehills and they keep growing. Are, are you getting this? Even, even psychologists and psychiatrists and mental health people embrace this thing called positive self-talk. Even they have done scientific studies about the way you speak to yourself and about yourself, and they've concluded that if you want to come out of depression, you want to come out of anxiety and panic, you begin to speak what isn't yet true. In other words, you, 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 it's, kind of, it's kind of the principle of faith, right? We call things that are not as though they are. And what happens? Eventually they are. You know, it's, it is important that we walk our talk, right? But sometimes you have to talk the talk before you can walk the talk because there are obstacles in the way of our walk that if we talk right, the obstacles will be removed. I don't know if you got all that. I don't think I can say that twice. You understand what I'm saying? It's like, yes, I, I want to walk, walk my talk. I want to, you know, I don't want to be a phony. I don't want to pretend, I don't want to preach this and do something else. But there are times when the thing God's called me to, I have to talk about it as if it's happened before I actually get there, or I can't walk the talk because there's an obstacle in the way. And when I speak like the obstacle is removed, how many of you understand that oftentimes when I speak of things as uh, that are not as though they are, though I, my circumstances, my mountain be, begins to turn into molehill. And like Isaiah said, that he makes the rough places smooth, the crooked places straight. He lowers the mountains and raises up the valleys. And a lot of that it happens as we speak into the atmosphere what God says about our lives. Now, I, I want to tell you what you might have thought I said that I didn't say. I actually don't think that 
you just pick a verse out of the Bible and you know, I like this one. I mean, that's okay. That probably helps you. That's probably good, you know, mental health to grab a good verse and speak it. But what I'm actually talking about is repeating what God said about you. And I understand, well, God said all this about you. And I'm like, okay, that's good. But what I'm actually talking about is the prophetic declarations, the rhema word that God speaks to you. In other words, the prophecies that God speaks to you. If God takes a verse out of the Bible and speaks it specifically over your life, how many know the logos, the written word, just became rhema, the living word? And so I'm saying that you take not just a Bible verse. That's good. I'm not opposed to that. But I'm actually saying that the greatest power is in the word that God specifically spoke to you that you repeat. And if you're anything like me, I have all this message. This message tonight is probably as much for me as anybody. I am. I have not done well in this area. I am connected with a bunch of people that are that are really good at watching over their speech. Bill's probably the best I know, but several people on our team are really good. And I'm probably more like I external. I can external process myself into. A prison. How many of you are external processors? Like you talk to figure out what you actually think. <laughs> I know for some of you, like, is that what you're doing? <laughs> I do it when I preach. Like I'm not always committed to my message. <laughs> Big pieces of it, I'll be. <laughs> I remember this is probably a year ago, but I, I had as I was you know preaching, I had this idea and I started preaching this whole thing about it was probably seven or eight minutes long. And then when I got to towards the end of it, I realized, like, I actually don't believe that. Because <laughs> two or three other scriptures came to my mind. And I said, oh, that's not true. I said, you know what? I just shared. I don't actually believe that's true. And I went on and people were like. <laughs> I was like, soul external processing from the podium has not always worked out very well for me. Um. In the book of Ezekiel, uh, my, I think one of my very favorite chapters in the Old Testament is Ezekiel 37. And you can turn there if you want, but I'm just going to refer to it. It's the place where God takes Ezekiel to this valley of dry bones. You know the story. You probably heard about it. And, and God says to Ezekiel, can these bones live? Now, I love the story for lots of reasons. I, I, love, I love word pictures. I write in word pictures all the time, and I, and I tend to see... Um, I t- tend to see words and pictures. It's hard to explain, but um, I, I see words and pictures. And so, and, I, and, and also when I see, when I, when I read something like Ezekiel, I begin to think of it like the Valley of Dry Bones. Well, it's interesting that it's not the mountain of dry bones, it's the Valley of Dry Bones. And, and, you know, and valleys in the Bible are oftentimes synonymous with troubles, problems. You know, God met Moses on the mountain. When he went down from the mountain, there was trouble. They were building uh, you know, a golden calf. And so you, you kind of get the idea that God's on the, in the Old Testament, that God's kind of on the mountain. And, and, you know, and I think that it was really, I mean, God did actually meet Moses most often on a mountain and call him up to the mountain. And we used to um, uh, preach in, uh, a lot about the fact that God meets you oftentimes outside of your convenient places, like he meets you out of your comfort zones. And I think that's true. But here he meets Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones and how many of you have ever had a valley of dry bones in your life? And I, I mean metaphorically speaking, of course, but you just like you're not just in a valley. You're amongst a bunch of dead army people who reminded you that you're a loser. That your Ezekiel is an Israelite. Those those dry bones. Do you understand that he's talking those dry bones that he sees? It's a battlefield of Israelis who lost a battle against their enemies. And Ezekiel is an, is an Israelite. Are you following me? In other words, he's, he's, a, he's in the midst of a bunch of people who already tried and failed. And God says, can these bones live? Do you understand? He's not just talking about raising these people from the dead, which is miraculous. He's talking about winning. He's saying to Ezekiel, see all these people, they tried and they, they failed. Can these bones live? And he says to God, he's being honest. He's like, you know. If you want my answer, no. <laughs> but I don't think you would ask me the question if the answer was no. I'm just like, I know your nature. Like, no. <laughs> so, you know, I don't want to be a Thomas. So, you know, I doubt it. But maybe. 
And God says, what I want you to do is I want you to prophesy to the bones. And I'm sure that Ezekiel's probably thinking, I'm, I'm glad I'm by myself. <laughs> you don't do this in groups. You know what I'm saying? You, you can try this at home, but you don't really. You get carried away by ushers when you, you know, that's why they call them ushers. And so God says, prophesy to the bones. And what's interesting is that he begins to prophesy specifically to the structure. So he prophesies to the bones. You know, he prophesies to the sinews, he prophesies to the flesh. And he just begins to prophesy, if you will, in process. He, he reverses the process. He begins to just prophesy right to the core issues of, of, uh, of their lives, into the bones, into the sinews, in, into the flesh. And, and then finally, uh, God breathes life into them. And, you know, sometimes I, what I notice in my life is that God prophesies to us in process. Like, sometimes it's like you, you take a prophecy in your life and you're like, you use that prophecy to fight. And it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't, your army's still not living. But you've, but you've taken ground. Does that make sense? And I, um, I think it's important that what, I think it's important that we don't get discouraged in those valleys and begin to Make sure that the bones never live by complaining instead of prophesying. You know, what's what's really interesting is God's value system seems really different to me than my value system. And I think Eric um, mentioned this morning about David. He commits adultery. He murders, which obviously in God's value system are all really bad. So please don't hear anything else. But the children of Israel grumble and God lets them die in the wilderness. And all I'm saying is, is that grumbling is socially acceptable in the church. But it won't get you in the promised land. There are, there are things that you can do and still end up in the promised land. And there are things that you do that absolutely relegate you to the wilderness. And complaining and grumbling are prophetic declarations that make your molehills in the mountains and create deep valleys that you live in the rest of your life. And I, am, I'm, I have to be honest, in seasons, I have been guilty of that. I have been guilty of creating a negative ecosystem where I'm actually, I'm actually living out self-fulfilled negative prophecies because they're coming from my mouth. And then I believe them, I act them out, and it validates that what I believed is true because... The behavior of that prophecy is actually being walked out in my life. And, and it validates that what I believed actually is true because I see it walked out in, in, in the seen world, in the, in the visible world. How many of you ever done that to yourself? And, um, and I think that part of the dream last night is that the Lord says, your weapons are between your teeth. Okay, it's going to get deeper for a minute, and we'll we'll end well. Turn to James chapter 1. And um, in James chapter 1, he says this, Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be complete and lacking in nothing. If anyone lacks wisdom, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. <clears throat> I'm sorry. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let that man not think that he'll receive anything from God, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Now, what's really interesting is the book of James opens up with an exhortation to consider it joy when you're in a trial. Consider it joy when you're in a trial. One of the reasons why you consider it joy when you're in a trial is because you can perpetuate that trial. Like you can make that trial a lot longer. When you begin to speak negatively about your trial, your trial can become a lifestyle. How many of you understand what I'm saying? And so the goal of a trial is not to perfect your character, at least in James 1. He says, consider it all joy when you counter various trials, knowing that the testing of your what? Not the testing of your character, the testing of your what? Faith produces endurance. And so the, the, the goal of a trial is that you would learn to trust God in that trial and you would see God's hand moving in that trial. In other words, you wouldn't try to deliver you from the trial. You would believe that he's going to. 
But it's really interesting because he said, listen, if you doubt, if you ask for something in the trial, if you ask for wisdom, if you ask for, you know, know, whatever you need, ask God and he'll give it to you. But he says, ask without any doubting, because the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea. And he says he's double minded and unstable. The word double minded there means to have two brains or to have two minds. The book of James is the only book that calls Christians sinners. Chapter three, weep and mourn, you sinners. It's the only place in the Bible where a Christian, in the New Testament, where a Christian is called a sinner. Why does James call a Christian sinners? Because he's talking to people who are double-minded. Double-minded. In other words, they have the mind of Christ, and somehow they've managed to keep the old mind, the old nature alive. How many, how many of you understand that, that baptism... We understand that that crucifixion is to resurrection what baptism is to the new man. In other words, in order to have a resurrection, you have to have a crucifixion. Right? There's no resurrection without a death, right? I mean, you don't go in the grave and sit in there. You die. (laughs) And in order to live a new life, baptism is... To the new man, what crucifixion is to Christ in his resurrection. In other words, when you got baptized, you were baptized into his death. You understand? You were baptized into his death. And when you got baptized, you died. That old man's dead. What's the point? You don't have two minds unless you go back to the graveyard. A lot of people get raised from the dead. You understand? When you, when you receive Jesus Christ, you're literally raised from the dead. A lot of people are raised, get raised from the dead like they actually become believers. They're born again, but they build a house in the graveyard. And they necromance. They talk to the dead, their old man. And when you do that, you end up with two minds. You have the mind of Christ, but you managed to camp at the graveyard, and you're talking to your old man and the new man, and the Bible says you're unstable in all your ways. Why? Because you're not single-focused. You're not single-minded. You're not... You're, 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 you're asking for something you don't really believe you're going to get. I know some people like that. They're from other churches. <laughs> this book isn't for us. It's for those other churches. Turn to chapter 3 with that in mind. Maybe I should just finish the thought for a minute. James is the only book, New Testament book in the Bible that calls Christians sinners because he's speaking to people who are double-minded. And so they've hung on to their old nature when they've come into the new world. So James says, listen, you're acting like sinners. How many of you understand that you're not a sinner, that you're a saint? You were a sinner saved by grace, but once you got saved by grace, you became a saint. But James says, listen, if you hang on to the old mind, you're acting like a sinner. And so he speaks to us in chapter 3, says, verse 1, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such you incur stricter judgment. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in in what he says, how many say, uh, uh, um, say this, in what he says, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, say what he says. says. He's a perfect man. How do you become a perfect man? By not stumbling in what you say. This is amazing. And you're able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also, though they are also great, they are driven by strong winds, yet they are directed by a very small rudder. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set 
among the members so that it defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and set on fire by hell. And then it goes on to say, all beasts have been tamed. But verse 8, but who can tame the tongue? With it we bless the Lord and curse men who are made in the likeness of God. Is that powerful? With it we bless the Lord and we curse men. He doesn't say curse Christians. He said we curse men made in the likeness of God. How many of you understand that people who don't know God are still made in the likeness of God? <clears throat> and he goes on, verse uh, 13, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and in gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. Earthly, get this, earthly, natural, demonic. Did you get that? For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is pure and peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruit, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Okay, we're getting close to being done. James talks about the tongue. Remember the word in the dream? Where's my weapon? It's between your teeth. And James said, listen, ships are navigated by a small rudder. Horses are navigated by a small bit. And your life is navigated by this tongue. He said, this tongue is like the rudder of a boat. And it determines the direction of your destination. Of my destination. Are you, are, are you with me at all? And he, says, and, he, and he said, with this tongue, he said, we bless God and we curse men. Now, the reason why I read chapter 1 to you first, the, the first few verses, is because he's speaking to people who are double-minded. And he's saying, the nature of being double-minded is that you bless God and you curse men. That you're selfish, that you're selfishly ambitious, you're jealous of other people. And when you do that, when you, when, you, when, you're, when you become selfish, when you're arrogant, when you're, when you're jealous, um, what happens? It says that this is earthly, natural, and demonic. What happens when we start to speak over our lives? Remember, Paul said to Timothy, take the prophecies that were previously spoken over, your life, over, over you and with them fight the good fight. But what happens when we take the, instead of the prophecies, we begin to repeat curses over our lives or over the lives of other people it opens the door in other words it started with me it started with chris valentin he used his tongue to curse somebody or to curse his own life once i opened the door with my mouth what was natural and earthly becomes demonic and suddenly instead of inviting angelic help by prophetic declarations i've created a demonic vortex in which i've sucked every evil thing into it and how did I do that? With my tongue. Anyone ever been hung by your tongue? I, I don't know if you're really feeling the weight of this, but I, I feel like this is more than a teaching because of the dream I had last night. And I feel like it's not just for you, it's for me. I think, so, I think God so wants to change many of our destinies. And yet, God gives us a word. We're like, oh, that's a good word. Thank you. I'll put it, yeah, I've got, I've got about 400 of those. Thank you very much. But what I actually believe is, I'm no good. I'm an idiot. These circumstances are terrible. I don't know what's going on with the economy. I can't find a job. Man, I don't know what's going on. Things are out of control. My daughter, my son, my wife, my, my husband. I just don't. You know what? I'm just sitting so tired of this. And, you know, this just keeps happening. And what I'm doing is I am, I am creating a mountain out of a molehill. And I am and I have, I, I'm establishing a, a negative prophetic ecosystem in which those words are becoming my world, but it's not the world that I planned to have. It's not the world God planned to have for me. I'm imprisoning my soul 
with prophetic declarations. And then I'm wondering why my finances don't improve. Why my life doesn't improve. I I think we can all agree that complaining has actually never really helped. How many of you have ever complained and it really worked? Well, yes. Some of you have to raise your hand because you complained to your mother. That's a totally different thing. That's... You complain to your mother, and she's going to probably, you know, take care of it. Some of the, uh, yeah, it's actually not funny. I remember being in Weaverville, and this uh, this mom was trying to shop with three little kids, and and I, you know, I don't really know what that's like. I was just say I know what that's like, but Kathy knows what that's like. And the kids, you know, they're, I think the oldest one looked to be about five or six, and they were, they were, she had two of them in the cart, and one of them was, she was holding their hand, and they were pulling things off the shelf, and I want candy, I want this, and I want that. And the poor lady, after about a few minutes in there, she was, she just, the kids were pulling stuff off the shelf, and pretty soon she's like, okay, you can just have one of those. And, okay, well, you can have one of those. And I'm thinking, you know what, you just taught your kids? You just taught your kids... The opposite of what God honors. Because complaining in the kingdom doesn't bring you candy. It draws things into your life, but it's not anything you want. So some of us have learned things in our childhood that are absolutely opposed to the kingdom. We complained and we got rewarded. And we come into the kingdom and our prayer life becomes the way we treated our mother and got rewarded as a child because our mother was so burnt out, frustrated. And I under, completely understand why. Look, just give the kid, a, you know, 50 cent candy and shut him up. But the problem is what you just taught him. The problem is you just taught him that when you complain, you get what you want. And then you come into the kingdom and when you complain, you, de- you, you draw demonic activity into your life. And then you complain about that. And it <laughs> Do you figure out how this becomes an ecosystem? What's natural and earthly, natural and earthly, right? Coming from your mouth. Like it's not an evil spirit jumped on you and said, you know, you're wicked. It's just like, you know what? You just start complaining about the, about the circumstances of your life. And you give the devil permission to come in. You just said to the, to the devil, I don't believe God. I'm a James 1 man. I don't believe, I'm complaining because I don't believe God. I'm in this trial and I don't actually believe God has my best interest in mind and I don't actually believe this is going to work out for good. I actually, you know, all those things God says about me, I actually don't believe them. I actually believe things are going to get worse. I actually believe I'm not going to get a job. I actually believe the circumstances aren't going to work out. I actually believe my daughter is not going to get off of drugs. I actually believe my son isn't going to come home. That's what I actually believe. And when I say, I believe you, he says, oh, good, because now you've empowered me to be in your life. And then when that, when that thing gets attached to me, then I complain more. And what does that do? It draws his friends. And how do I reverse that? Well, actually, it's a hard issue, isn't it? I mean, it, it comes out your mouth because the, because the Bible says that that your words are the fruit of your heart, right? And so it actually begins. I mean, your tongue is actually talking about what your heart thinks. And so it's important for us to go back to the first chapter, of James, and say, listen, the real issue is I don't trust God. I mean, the, the symptom is I'm talking. But chapter one isn't about talking. Chapter one's about thinking. Are you following me? And chapter one is it, chapter one is about trusting God. Chapter one says, trust God. It's going to work out. And then chapter two, three and four says, this is what it looks like when you don't. This is what happens when you don't. And um, in Proverbs 21, verse 23 says, he who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. Did you get that? Proverbs 21, 23. He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. Man, that's a good word. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. How many know you are what you eat? 
Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. I really feel like the Lord wants to just release weapons into your arsenal. In a dream, I was telling Jason, we need, listen, we need to prepare people like, hand out the weapons. And I really feel like tonight, many of us are in circumstances, many people who are watching by iBethel TV, you're in circumstances that actually, if you changed the way you talked, if I changed the way I talked, Actually, your circumstances would change. Actually, you need to talk the talk sometimes before you can walk the walk. And if you begin to speak what God says about you, when you, if you begin to repeat what God said about you, some of you need to go home and find those prophecies. Dig them up. Maybe they're in a box someplace. Maybe they're on your computer somewhere. And you just need to dig them up, maybe print them out, and begin to say, you know, how does this prophecy that I got, or maybe these 10 or 10, 15, whatever, how does this relate to my circumstances? So maybe someone prophesied over you about a season of prosperity, and you thought it was money, but actually your relationships are messed up. You're like, how many understand that God wants you to prosper in every way? Remember we talked that First John passage, chapter 3, that, that you would prosper and be in good health even as your soul, the word soul there is psyche, even as your psyche prospers. So you take that word where the Lord said, I'm going to prosper you, you're coming into a season, you get this prophetic word about prosperity, and your son or your daughter or your, your children, are, are, you know, they're just not doing well, and you begin, to, you begin to say, you know what, I got this prophetic word about prosperity, and the Lord wants my soul to prosper, He wants my family to prosper, He wants my relationships to prosper, He wants my finances to prosper. He wants me to prosper in my psyche. He wants me to prosper in, 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 I want you to prosper every way in your psyche, in your soul, and in your health. Every, everything in your life, I want to prosper. Man, you know what? I feel resistance right now. You know, it's the truth. The Lord wants you to prosper in every dimension of your life. I'm telling you, I just, I feel so strongly like there's a, there's this thing that I just felt just a second ago. There's a poverty mentality and a, and a martyrdom spirit that work against this word. Where we begin to statistically use the word of God. Where some of us are cutters. We use the word of God to cut ourselves. We find every negative verse in the Bible. Sometimes we have to go to the old covenant and we use it against ourselves. And we become cutters. And we're like, I, I'm using the word of God. It's like, those words were not spoken to you. Jesus said, I, I want to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. It's the devil who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Can I say this? Sometimes when, it, when things are too good to be true, they're still true. He said, I want to give you more than you ask or think. If you asked it or you thought it, he wants to give you more than that. Which means that it's impossible... To exaggerate how good God wants to be to you. Because as soon as you, as soon as you thought it, or asked for it, God says, I'm going to do more than that. So you go, okay, well, I'm going to think this much. God goes, okay, you thought that, so I want to do more than that. You're saying, well, God never wants me to go through trials. Yes, the trials are a good thing in our life. Chris, listen to your own message. The trials of doing this, God. Help me. Trials are, are just there so for God to show up in our life. Trials aren't there to, you know, when someone goes, oh, you're going to, you know, you're going through a trial. It's like, yeah, you know, Jesus is not, I don't know. It's like, no, no, no. You don't ever go into the wilderness without the spirit. God's not, God is not the light at the end of the tunnel. I wish we'd stop saying that. He's the light in the tunnel. There's no place you can go where there isn't God in your life. David said this. He said, if I went into Hades, you would be there. Like, there's nowhere I could go that you wouldn't come with me. What are you in the midst of? God's there with you. Well, it doesn't feel like it. Well, don't believe your feelings then. Don't believe your feelings. How many of you are married? How many have been married for more than 15 years? That's awesome. I've been married for 36. You know, one of the ways you stay married, you don't trust your feelings. <laughs> 
I don't get up every every morning and go, how do I feel about Kathy? Oh, I'm not feeling good about her today. Yeah, we're in the midst of a bad marriage going on here. I tell you, that's been three days in a row. Or I haven't felt anything. Now, everybody that's been married more than a, a few months. I mean, you know this. You could be feeling nothing for your spouse. Come on, we're being real now. You could feel nothing for your spouse. Watch the right movie and ho ho. The treasures of your heart are revealed. And you're like, baby, come here. I want to talk to you. And I'm like, that was that was in there all the time. That was always there. I just needed the right thought, the right mode. And maybe something inspired me. I'm just trying to be practical with you. It's like, you know, I don't feel I don't feel like God loves me all the time. I don't feel like he does. In my emotions. But my emotion, I don't, I'm not led by the soul. I'm led by the spirit. So my soul goes, I don't feel like God loves me. My spirit's all, oh, shut up. You know, you've done that before. And how'd that work out for you? <laughs> right? Come on. The people, I mean, is it ever trouble you that people are getting just totally whacked in worship and you're just totally wanting? People are like, oh, that was so good. I'm like, shut up. Your soul's like, oh, you know, liar, liar, pants on fire. You know, it's like, you know, what happened? You're not, you know, God, if he loved you, you would feel like them. You haven't fell on the floor for, you know, never. (laughs) Last time I fell down was when I tripped. (laughs) I don't get drunk. I pray for people. They fall down. They get drunk. I'm like, seriously, people manifest. I'm like. I twitch just to get it going. I've laid out hands on myself and faked it. It's just like, okay, maybe if I do this by faith. I went through a little season where I, where when the presence of God would come in a certain way, this is probably three years ago, I would get a little twitch. And they did that for about four, four or five months. And I never knew when it was going to happen. This man came up to me and prayed for me for Tourette's. It's true. It's totally true. Comes up to me and he says, can I pray for you? And I'm like, sure. You know, and he goes, you know, I have a son who has that same issue. And I'm thinking. I, I, seriously, this happened. I was doing this is, uh, about two years ago in a conference. He goes, I have a son who has the same issue. And I'm. I thought when he was praying for me, you know, he's going to give me a word or whatever. And he goes, and I just want to pray for you because I understand what it is, that, that Tourette's thing that's going on in your life. And it's too, I'm kind of proud of this. Like everybody else falls down, but I got, got this little thing going on. It's just like, it's, what's really funny is he prayed for me and I'm like, okay, you know, it's going to all be good. I mean, I wasn't going to say anything to him. He prayed for me, and you know, I'm like, thank you very much. But then he went on to talk to me about the history of Tourette's. And I'm like, <laughs> I go. So finally I said, after about a minute, I said, I actually don't have Tourette's at all. And he's like, oh, well, what's causing that? <laughs> it's my manifestation. <laughs> it's the one the Lord gave me, you know. <laughs> I don't get a full-on fall down and foam or crawl. I just get a, you know. Um, people are just drunk all around, you know, us. And, and the, there's this, this like, wah, wah, you know, God doesn't really love you, loves them more. You know, look at how he manifests those people. There must be something wrong in your life. And, you know, and my soul's all, you yeah, know, well, that makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> These are all the reasons why you can't, you know, love God as much as that, that person, you know. Just, you should just give it up, you know. Yeah. And my spirit's like, totally like, soul. What are you talking about? Remember God told us that we couldn't exaggerate his love for us? Well, yeah, but it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't matter what it feels like. It matters what God said.
for some of you, a battle has gotten really intense. And you would say, like, this is the worst season of my life. And the Lord says to you, they've called in reinforcements because you're about to come into what I've promised you for years. You're so close. You know, it's always darkest right before the dawn, right? Like, you're so close. If you give up now, everything you've pressed in for, prayed for, believed for, trusted God for, will be lost. And um, sometimes, no, most of the time, the resistance increases as you get closer and closer to your promised land. But guess what? So does the help from God. Somebody once said, greater levels, greater devils. And that may be true, but greater angels. God would never give you a mission and not protect you. I mean, the President of the United States is the most protected man in the United States. Now, how many of you understand more people want to kill him than kill me, at least at this point, which is good. <laughs> but he's also more fortified than anybody in this room. Why? Because he has greater responsibility. And even in the natural, we understand that greater responsibility means greater authority and greater authority means greater protection. So God, if God calls you into a, a greater dimension, you're like greater levels, greater devils. OK, watch out, because that's the you start looking for demons. How many of you know that you're going to see what you're prepared to see? If, if the if the enemy has dispatched. Demons to keep you out of your promised land, there are two thirds more angels than demons. It's good news. Only one third of the ang- the angels fell, so. You know, I, I just kind of look at it this way. Every time the, the devil dispatches a demon to me, God sends me two angels. Because that's why it says there's more for us than against us. So it's really easy to focus on what's going wrong in your life. Now, I, I've shared this a few times, but it seems so relevant to this message. You know, someone will come up to me and they'll like, I have this prophetic word for you. I'm like, all right, what is it? This is almost always in other places. And that's true. They'll say, oh, I saw this, you know, this demonic spirit trying to kill you. And I'm like, dude, that ain't a prophecy. That's a fact. <laughs> prophecy is about the future, man. That's present tense. I want to be famous in hell. Or at least famous in heaven and feared in hell. Right? And so, it's not, it's not a, listen, the devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Okay? That's a negative prophetic word, but it's true about you. He's out to get you. I know. <laughs> and so is God. The devil wants to kill you, but he can't because you're already dead. God killed you. So the life that you live, you live to Christ. And that no one can take your life. Romans 8. So what I want you to do is if you're in a, um, a tough place, you're like, oh, no, I'm going to make that confession. I'm going to complain. You just said don't complain. <laughs> but tonight you're going to stand up and you're going to say, I, listen, I'm in a tough place and I feel convicted. I feel like that dreams for me. And I, tonight, I choose to believe what God says about me. I choose to believe to embrace my destiny. I choose to, to believe what the, the prophecies that God's spoken over my life. And I refuse to let my soul tell me how good I'm doing with God. And I'm going to take my prophecies and I'm going to begin to speak into my situation so that my circumstances are not dictating my destiny but my stances are so if that's you tonight i only want you to stand for that reason i want you to stand i want to pray for you i feel like i'm supposed to equip you some of you are standing because you're repenting you know you're thinking differently you're like ah I've been cursing myself. I'm a Christian cutter. I'm using the word of God to cut myself. I'm using it to destroy my destiny. 
And I'm not doing that anymore. So tonight you're like, I'm standing because I need a change, but not just because I need a change. You're not just like, I need candy, I need candy, listen, give me something. You're standing because you're like, from this day on, I am going to grab those prophecies and I'm beginning to speak those prophecies over my life. Okay, Holy Spirit, here we go. Let's just wait for a moment. Seems off the subject. Do you, do you know that suicide is a manifestation of the spirit of Jezebel? When Elijah was chased by Jezebel, the first thing he told God is, I want you to take my life. And I feel like some of you are dealing with that too. And God says, listen, I love you. I know the plans I have for you, plans for a future, to give you a future and a hope. And so maybe you're watching by iBethel TV, and I just feel like the Lord wants to break off the spirit of suicide as well as all of this foreboding stuff. I feel like this is really a really powerful night in you stepping over into a new place in your life. I just, I just have this greatest sense of anticipation. I think I always have some level of anticipation when I preach, especially when the Lord gives me a prophetic word. But I have this greatest, I have this in, incredible sense of anticipation tonight that when we talked about a catalyst earlier, like when I was opening the prophetic word, that this word is actually a catalyst to many of you. Like this word is actually going to cause you to do what you've not been able to do. Many of you have lived in poverty for generations. Like you're, you're poor, and I'm, I'll just use finances to demonstrate, but I'm not just talking about finances. You, you've lived poor, your parents were poor, you're, you're, you know, it's like you're, and it, it's not about money. But it's an easy way to demonstrate God's God's saying, listen, I want to bless you. And it's in the area of finances. And maybe for years, every time you hear that, you're like, you know, those rich preachers, those something. It's it's that thing that says it's a word curse. It's like, well, this is this. Listen, I don't like rich people because they're selfish. They're this or that. And and what it's done is it's kept you out of your promised land of prosperity by the fact that you can't stand people who have money. And the Lord says, I want to bless you. And you're like, no, no, I don't, nah, I wouldn't do that. And how many of you understand that when the Lord wants to bless you, if it's money, if it's whatever it is, you want it. Because Proverbs says that when God blesses you, he doesn't add sorrow to it. So, okay, here we go. So I want you to say this. Those that are saying, say, Father, I believe you. From this day forward, I trust you. I trust that you have my best interest in mind and that everything that I go through, you have already purposed that it's for good. You work out everything for good in my life. So I ask you to forgive me for not trusting you and for complaining instead of speaking your word over my life. And from this day forward, I pick up the weapon that's between my teeth. And I begin to speak to the dry bones of my life. And I expect there to be a great army that arises in the valleys of my life. From this day forward, I won't just expect to meet you on the mountain. In the great seasons of my soul. But I'll expect to meet you in every season of my soul. And that in every season of my soul, that I will prosper and be in good health. My family's going to prosper and be in good health. What I care about, you care about. And when I ask you, 
you listen. And you said you can ask for anything in my name. And it will be done for you. So I ask right now that you would reverse this ecosystem in my life. That I would embrace prosperity in every area of my life, my family's life, and everyone I care about. From this day forward, I want to live in prosperity in every dimension of my life and my family. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want to pray for you. Don't clap. I want to pray for you. Holy Spirit. I just release these weapons that I saw in the dream. And tonight we're talking about prophecy and words. But Lord, I know there was a lot more in the dream that we were handing out weapons of warfare. And Lord, I thank you that there's no weapon formed against us that will prosper. And there's no tongue accuses us that was sent from you, except for that will be put down in judgment. And God, I thank you that you have commanded prosperity into our lives. And so, Lord, I release right now, I release people from the prisons of their own imaginations. I release them from the prisons of demonic imaginations. And, Lord, I release them to the palace of your imagination. That we would begin to imagine with you the things you want to do for us. That everybody in this room, people who are standing, people who are watching by Bethel TV, that, well, I guess they're not in the room, But, Lord, everybody in the sound of my voice would begin to imagine that we would be imagineers with the Holy Spirit's imagination. And, Lord, we begin to imagine things as as you see them. Lord, I pray for that right now, that you just release godly imaginations. Lord, that they would, every circumstance that they stood for tonight... Yeah, I want to talk to you for just a minute. If your daughter has left, I just had this picture of like a 17-year-old daughter having an argument with the mother and running off and saying, I hate you. I want you just to imagine what it would like for her to come back and say she was wrong and embrace you. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Take your circumstances and then see it as God sees it. And then begin to say, that's the way it's going to come out. I speak that right now. That's the way it's going to come out. That's what God showed me was going to happen. And I speak to you right now. My son's going to come from afar. My daughter's going to be carried in arms. I'm going to, I'm going to be thrilled. My heart's going to radiate. The abundance of the sea is going to be turned to me. I just release that right now in Jesus' name. Godly imagination. Godly imagination. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much.